This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Rob Tombrella, pastor at Grace Church. And the emphasis is that Jesus is alive when all these other spiritual leaders and spiritual gurus and every philosopher is dead. Every, every person that's gained a following has died. Jesus is still alive. I wonder if you thought about that, considered that. Every philosopher, every person that has any notoriety in history has died. And the uniqueness of Christianity is that every religion promises a life after death, but no religion centers it on resurrection of its very leader who founded it. We follow a philosophy. We, we follow the teachings of this leader, but we follow the teachings of this leader and the philosophy of this leader and the life example of this leader because this leader rose from the dead. We don't just follow just the teachings or an idea, but we follow a person who rose from the dead, who actually experienced death, who went before us was actually buried in the tomb and rose up out of the tomb, never to experience death again as a sign of sort of first fruits for all of us who are certainly going to die. You don't have to convince this culture that they're going to die. Now, you might have to convince a millennial who's born from 1980 to 2000 that death is going to come sooner than they realize it. But most people in our culture don't have a struggle with realizing that there is death coming. If you could just put your hand on your heart, or find a pulse. You ever do this as a kid? Can you do that? Can everybody do that? Find a pulse. Everybody got it? I remember doing this as a kid. Somebody telling me, if your heart ever stops beating, it means you're dead. And I, I reached for my heart when I was a kid taking a nap at my grandma's house, and I couldn't find it beating. And I started running through the house because I thought I was dead. <laughs> True story. That's why God chooses the foolish in the world. Like me. If you can feel your heart beating, it's, it's not going to beat the rest of your life. It's going to stop at some point. You're 100% certainty that your pulse is going to end at some point. The culture understands this. And everybody's seeking for something beyond death. Everybody knows that's coming. So they go to the movies. You go to the movies today. Go across the street and you can watch Paranormal Activity 3, Immortals. My Reincarnation, Twilight, Breaking Dawn. If you're a guy in here and you're going to watch that movie, please don't tell me. (laughs) All of these movies promise something beyond this life. Death is certain. Is there some sort of afterlife? Is there some sort of resurrection? And every religion comes up empty on this except for Christianity. Every single religion comes up empty on this except for Jesus Christ and the followers of him in our religion of Christianity. And what I want to do today is read a passage that proves to us the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross, but an actual historic account that our leader didn't stay dead like Muhammad. Like great leaders of Israel. Hinduism and Buddhism and Shintoism and New Age spirituality. Our leader rose from the dead. Let's read in John chapter 20. If you're new to the Bible, it's the fourth book in the New Testament. And we're in the 20th chapter. You can look off a friend if you don't have a Bible. 
Starting in verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I'm not going to read the rest of it. I'm I'm going to preach from all of this all the way through verse 18, but let's just pray and get going. Father, we come to you in Jesus name. We come to you because Christ is resurrected. If, if Christ is not resurrected, we are still in our sins and our faith is futile. In in essence, what are we doing here praying to you and worshiping you and singing to you in the midst of suffering, in the midst of confusion in our lives? Why why would we do that? Why wouldn't we just go to work on our confusion? It's because, Father, your son is resurrected from the dead. You rose your son from the dead. And we are celebrating that this morning. And we are coming looking for life in his name. We've, We've tried to find life in so many places this week, even this day. And we're coming once again because you've commanded us to come. And we're seeking life in Jesus, the resurrected one, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to ask just two questions. The first question is going to be in verses 1 through 10. The second question in verses 11 through 18. What is the resurrection? What difference does it make? What is the resurrection? And what difference does the resurrection make? And my burden... For you, believer, is that you would come away looking at Scripture, and because of the Holy Spirit, you would say resurrection changes everything. It just changes everything. And if you've not ever put your faith in Christ, you've been in the red zone with Him, but you've never crossed the line of faith and trust in Him, and you're not a believer today, I believe the Lord is calling you today to put your faith in a resurrected Christ. I want to appeal to you. I want to persuade you to do that this morning as well. What is it and what difference does it make? Well, first of all, let's look at verses 1 through 10. It is historic. It is historic. Let me just go back and reread some of the details of this historic event. Back it up just a little bit because we need to hear the finality of last week's message. Jesus suffered as a man, a real man. He didn't, he wasn't kind of a man and kind of God. He wasn't half man or half God. He wasn't God that had, uh, he wasn't a, a man that somehow at moments had, you know, portions of deity poured into him. No, he was a full-blooded human being. He was a real man, really human, just like you and me. But while he was really human, just like you and me, he was really God, fully God, fully human. And look at the details in verse 1. On the first, I'm sorry, back it up. I was saying, let's back it up. Notice that this real human died. 
Nicodemus, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, 75 pounds in weight. So this real human died, and they're putting this on the body so that the body doesn't decay, doesn't give off an odor because he's dead. In verse 40, they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. In verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Jesus was taken down from the cross. He had no life in his body. When he said it is finished, the suffering had been done, and he suffered to the point of death. There were no brain activities happening in his brain at the moment. He wasn't, he didn't enter into a state of comatose where he was really alive and he tricked the doctors and then they resuscitated him back from the dead. His body was cold. There was no life in him. Do you remember the Roman put the spear in his side and blood and water poured out? That's, that's the, the example of a, a really dead person. He was fully dead. I, I ran into a guy this week, uh, about a 20-year-old guy, this, this very week, just having coffee outside of Starbucks. And he believes that the body was uh, either he was, Jesus was not dead. I was asking him, well, do you believe in the resurrection? He said, he said no, either Jesus really wasn't dead, and uh, he just looked dead to his followers, or they stole the body away and buried him in another place because the idea of Jesus would be very strong. Kind of like he he just be would be symbolic and like any other philosopher of the world, which is what he attributed to Jesus. Well, that's not what happens. Look in verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Do you note the details? It's early, it's dark. This this darkness is a climate, you know, a, a real historic climate it is dark it is early but there's a darkness in mary's soul as well she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb i mean she could be thinking any number of things grave robbers at this point were were, were very prevalent i mean it would have to have been a, a pretty hefty team of grave robbers because the stone was very large as we see in other gospels Nevertheless, who who knows what she's thinking? She's scared. She's confused. All the followers of Jesus are scared and confused at this point. The tomb is taken away. What's become of Jesus? What's become of her Savior? She ran and went to, to Simon Peter and to the other disciples of whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So she's confused. She's confused. Can you relate to that? She doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't know what to make of the events in her life. Neither do the disciples. It says, so Peter went out to the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. The, The tomb, the tomb, the tomb. Everything is dark. Everything is confusing. Everything had a sense of finality. 75 pounds of spices and myrrh and and, and things for a dead body. Everything is closed. That door is shut. Jesus is dead and hope is gone. 
Verse 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know why we have that detail, but maybe John was a quicker runner than Peter. Peter was more brazen, apparently. It says, and stooped to look in. He saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. See, note the detail. He was wrapped up like a mummy. He was wrapped up in the, sh- in that sh- in the shroud because he was dead. You don't, pars- you don't wrap up somebody that's partially alive and sort of in a coma. You wrap up somebody after he's been confirmed dead. There is no life in this human being. He's wrapped up to the point where they put a face cloth. I mean, note the, note the imagery. Jesus Christ, the uncreated God, became a human being. I mean, Mary held this human being in her arms and gazed upon his face, looked into his eyes, stared at the, at the baby who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the one who took on flesh, the one who became a human being, loved us to the point of death with those babies Eyes were a, a human, be- a fully grown man now, and this fully grown man went all the way to the cross to the point of death, and they closed his eyes in death, and they put a face cloth on the finality of his suffering. They put it right around him, and they carried his lifeless body into a tomb. But here, the face cloth is folded up. They're looking at the linen clothes lying there. Who knows what's going on in their minds? Did a grave robber do this? I mean, they would have looked for things, but would they have taken the body? Why would they have done this? Peter doesn't understand. Mary doesn't understand. Who knows who else is there with them? Probably some other women there don't understand. But the linen clothes are folded There's order here. In the midst of chaos, there's order. This isn't about Jesus being neat. Mom, please don't tell your kids. See, Jesus is neat. Please don't use this text for that. He's bringing order to a a, a moment of utter chaos. Peter sees the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth. And that just, that staggers me right there. The face cloth is right there. It's been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, folded up. It's folded up. Jesus folded it up. He took time to fold it up. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Peter struggling in his doubts. The other disciples are struggling. Mary's struggling. There's lots of confusion, but in the midst of it, John remembers the promises of Jesus. I will suffer, and on the third day, I will rise. I will suffer, and on the third day, I will rise again. He said it again, and he said it again, and he said it again. The disciples didn't get it. And if you and I were there at that time, we wouldn't have gotten it either. But in this moment, he sees complete order. He sees the the linen clothes lying, folded, 
And Jesus is alive and he remembers the promises that Jesus said, I will rise from the dead. And it says that he believed. Verse 9 says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So there's still confusion. John believes the rest of the people. They don't really know what to believe. There's just a lot of confusion right now. And the reason there's not, there's a lot of confusion is they didn't understand scripture fully. See, and over, over and over again in the Bible, scripture promises that there's going to be a Messiah that's going to reverse the effects of the fall. The, when we say the effects of the fall, God created this perfect world and he created human beings to inhabit this perfect world and to be in perfect communion with him. Human beings didn't want that. First, the first person who turned their back on God is a man named Adam. And Adam had a lot of kids and we're one of those kids. Adam turned his back on God. We've turned our back on God. And the whole story of the Old Testament and of the Bible is God pursuing us, pursuing a relationship with us, pursuing coming after us, even though we are pursuing getting away from this God and to go as far away from this God as possible. He is forging away and making a covenant after covenant after covenant that we keep breaking and keep breaking and keep breaking. And he says, I'm going to keep coming after you and I'm going to keep coming after you. And then he raises prophets and says, you know how far I'm going to go to get you? I'm going to come to you. I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to enter into my own creation. I'm going to become a human being and I'm going to do what you could never do. I'm going to pull off the perfect righteousness of the law as a human being and then I'm going to take responsibility for every single one of your sins of every single person who puts faith and trust in me and then I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to be the Messiah. This was the, this was the promise. This was the scripture. They don't understand all of this and neither do we when we're struggling and doubting and fearful. Jesus says, said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. This is what Jesus lived to do. He lived to die and he lived to rise from the dead. Now this message of his resurrection is what the apostles preached. Do you remember, Paul goes, Paul was an apostle, follower of Jesus. He goes in Acts 17 to a bunch of postmodern people who believed in all kinds of different religions and all kinds of different ideas, and he preaches the resurrection of Jesus. And he preaches in the resurrection of Jesus, our resurrection of Jesus. And it says in Acts 17, when those people, these postmodern, post-Christian people, much like our day, heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you some more about this. And some joined and believed. Some mocked, some believed. Same is true today when we talk about the resurrection. When we talk about the resurrection, we mean the historic, real, honest-to-goodness restoration of life from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about an idea We're talking about a living Savior who rose from the dead. We follow the Savior's teachings and the Savior's philosophies because we follow Him, because He's alive today. Let's see what difference it makes. Look at verse 11. In the midst of the confusion, Mary is weeping. It says, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
What is she looking for? What is she hoping for in this moment? What would you be looking for? What would you be hoping for? Why is she weeping? There's a lot of things that the resurrection brings about. But the first thing that I want us to see that the resurrection brings is a restored relationship with Christ. A restored relationship with Christ. Please don't miss the importance of relationship. I think our modern ears, especially in the evangelical world, we kind of have distanced ourselves from that language of relationship because there it, some 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 good reasons for that. There's a lot of um, frivolous and kind of happy clappy ideas about uh, personal relationship with Christ, and that kind of gets thrown out with no sense of sobriety, no sense of worship, no sense of awe and wonder. I'm not, I'm not advocating to be in that camp. I believe that there should be a sense of sobriety and worship and awe and transcendence. But the reason why there's such awe and transcendence when we talk about relationship with God is because of his eminence. Because this holy God, this holy God, this one who's outside of us has condescended to be in relationship with us and to make us intimates with him. To restore us into relationship with God. We ought not to be in relationship with him. We, we are a people that are hungry for relationship, aren't we? We'll look for it anywhere. We'll search for it anywhere. But we often forget that God is a deeply relational being. For God to save himself that God is love in First John is to describe his essence, to be in relationship. He has always been in the deepest, most perfect communion of relationship that has ever been. In God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons in one perfect God, forever and ever been in deep fellowship one with the other. He doesn't create the world because he needed relationship, but out of an overflow of that life and out of an overflow of that joy and relationship and declare it, he creates the world. I once told people that he created us because he needed or he desired relationship out of some sense of lack. That's not true. That's not true at all. He he created us because of a perfect overflow of relationship. But he is deeply relational and he desires for us to know him and to be in relationship with him. And Mary got it. Mary understood this. Mary came into a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to know anything about Mary, know that she blew it in her life. She messed up big time. If you've ever messed up big time, you could relate to Mary. If you've ever felt distance from God or that you totally blew it with God, you could relate to Mary. Mary could sit down with you and she could describe her life. She could describe her history and you and she would connect. It says in Luke that Mary was one who followed Jesus. Jesus invited Mary along as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with them and she was one of the women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. It's her, her, her story is described in Luke as Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. Seven demons. It doesn't describe what those demons were. It doesn't describe what the infirmities were. It doesn't describe what the temptations were. But that's pretty grievous. That's pretty serious. Where had Mary been? What sins had Mary opened up her heart to? 
What, what grievous things? Where had her eyes gone? Where had her feet gone? She was overcome by evil. She's oppressed by demonic spirits. And Jesus sets her free and says, come follow me. Jesus set her free and said, you're going to be in relationship with me. You're going to be intimately connected to me spiritually. And I'm going to give you a whole new purpose for life and living. That's why she's stooping down into the tomb. The one who called her out of her darkness is gone. The tomb is dark. It's early morning and it's really dark in that tomb. And she's stooping down into the darkness, hoping to find some sign of life, some sign of hope. Her deliverer is gone. The one who brought her out of the darkness, the one who gave her a whole new purpose, her savior, the one she was a friend with is now gone. Where, where is he? Where did he go? And look, look what happens. As she's stooping, as she's looking, in verse 12, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, this is an amazing question, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, I don't think they're asking that question because they're, they're lacking information. They're asking the question because the weeping time is over. The weeping is completely, in this moment, in the angel's perspective, inappropriate. She doesn't understand. She's, she's confused, obviously. They're not, they're not chiding her. They're not condemning her. But they're asking her a question. They're, they're, they're moving her to faith right here. They said, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Do you sense the personal agony of her heart? Think grave robbers or somebody's just taken away this friend, deliverer, savior, and she's confused. Where have they laid him? Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. There's all kinds of speculation here. Why is this? Over and over again in the gospel accounts, Jesus at first isn't recognizable, and then he is very recognizable. So it's just, it's just one of those things we, we don't really know why he at first isn't recognizable, and then he is. And it could just be that it's just dark, you know, and she's just overcome by emotion. It could be that her, her, her eyes are flooded with tears right now, and she just can't see. She's just so convinced that somebody's taken away the body. So she sees Jesus standing. She doesn't know it's him. Jesus says to her the same question, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? That's, that's what he asks Mary. That's what he asks you. Who are you seeking? In the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your darkness, who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, I love this, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She's Again, she is so convinced. This is a gardener. This is just a person that's just kind of interrupting but not bringing any hope to her because surely the body is somewhere else. And in the midst of that very thought in verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary. I don't know what that is. I, he, I mean, she recognized the voice of Jesus right in the midst of the darkness and the confusion. Literally, the darkness here and the darkness of this tomb. In the middle of this tomb, in the middle of the darkness, Jesus calls her by name and says, Mary, that's your story. and That's my story. 
I just want to jump to that, but that's, that's what happens. Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, this is just familiar language. This is language she would, she would regularly call Jesus, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus promised that my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. I, I hold them in my hands. I will hold them in the midst of their hopelessness, in the midst of their discouragement, in the midst of their darkness. I will hold them because I know them and they know me and they will hear my voice. They will hear me when I call their name. That's your story if you're a believer in Jesus. He called your name. And you might not have been in, in a physical tomb, but you were in a tomb of death and darkness and He called your name. Do you remember His voice when He called your name? You could have been five years old when he called your name. You could have been 15 when he called your name. You could have been 25. You could have been 85 when he called your name. But he called your name and you came following after him right out of the tomb, right out of the darkness, right out of the confusion. I remember when I was 17 years old. I sat in the very back, this unimpressive, unspectacular little Baptist church. And I was running after sin as hard as I possibly could. And I believe I was saved. But I ran so far away from Christ. And it took about six years to do that. I remember sitting in the back and just hearing the songs. They didn't even get to the preaching yet. It was just old hymns that I grew up with. And the truth of the gospel and the truth of that hope, I heard his voice again. To me, it wasn't something audible. It was just something internal. Something like, where have you been? It wasn't a sense of condemnation about it. He wasn't beating me up with that question. He was bringing joy into an unsatisfied, darkened soul. And he wasn't asking me, where have you been uh, as far as what have you been looking at and what have you been doing and what kind of friends have you been making and where have you been trying to find life? I could have gone all kinds of different directions. He was just saying, life is found in me. Come back to me. Come back home to me. This is what the promise of the resurrection brings. We can be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we're justified, Romans 4.25 says. This is why we can, we can face incredible persecution knowing that we are brought into a relationship with him. We become intimates with God through Jesus Christ. I was watching this movie, Gladiator. Do you all remember this movie, Gladiator? I, I just love how I, I bring up movies and I realize even as I bring them up, they're R-rated. So I probably shouldn't like just share movies like that. As Christians, you're not supposed to watch R-rated movies unless it's The Passion of the Christ. Um, so, I was watching this movie. It's a, great, it's a great movie about gladiators and things like that. They have these, these deleted scenes that ended up on the director's cutting room floor. And I, I just was curious, what's, what's in here? It's, it's all about first century, just like the Bible times, this movie. And they have a scene that they deleted Christians being fed to the lions. If you know anything about Christ, Christian history, this is true. If you know anything about modern-day history, this is true. They're not fed in coliseums to lions, but they're killed daily, martyrs, followers of Jesus. So I was just curious, what's the director's take on this? 
And so in, in the movie, Russell Crowe's character is this gladiator named Maximus, and he's just walking through this, the back of the Colosseum, and he looks up out over the Colosseum, a place where he's about to go and battle people day after day until he's dead. And he just looks out, and he sees his family holding each other and just gripping each other and praying. I just think it's a very accurate portrayal that this director had. It ended up on the cutting room floor for some obvious reasons, I think. But this family's just praying. He's just staring at the face of this child, and this child's looking back at him, and then the lion comes, and they they cut the scene. In the midst of intense suffering, the story of Christianity is that being in a relationship with God is worth it all. It's not easy to deny somebody that you know that's brought you out of death and into life. Let's look what else. Not only a present relationship, but a future hope. Look at verse 17. Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, he's not saying, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a hugger, okay? He's not saying, I'm not, don't touch me. I'm just not into hugging. He's deeply relational and he's deeply personal, but this, this idea is that she's kind of clutching on to him and she's just holding on, maybe probably to his feet, probably bowing down and clutching on. And he's just saying, it gets better than this. There's something more. There's something beyond. Even as great as this is, as great as this personal experience is, that there's something I want you to export and bring out to the, to the world and to my disciples. And he says, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. In other words, I descended. Ascended means what it means. It means to go up. It means to go up. I've not yet gone up to my Father. The good news, the gospel good news, is not completed until Jesus ascends. So when Jesus says, it is finished, what, what was finished was the suffering. Not another ounce of suffering could ever be laid against Jesus or against any disciple of Jesus. We can never suffer for our sins. We can't because it's finished. He suffered to the point of death. You can't suffer any more than that. So when he says it's finished, it was truly finished. Our sins are removed from us and pardon has come. But what hasn't come yet is power. And he must ascend to the throne, to the right hand of God, to pour power out upon his church. So it's not yet completed. He's, he's saying, I'm ascending to the Father. Go tell the brothers and say, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. So he's saying, I'm big brother here, and I'm connected to you, Mary, but I've got, I'm going to bring you into this relationship with my heavenly father. My father is your father. Now that's just got to, that's got to speak something to Mary who didn't have the protection of a father when she was running after sin and getting oppressed by all these evil spirits all her life. Jesus is the brother that she's never had. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring you up to a father that you've never had. Nobody was protecting you when you were running after darkness, but that's not going to be your story any longer. He gives her a future hope. He promised, Jesus says, I promise you, when I go away, it's going to be better. I mean, that is just absolutely staggering. Almost, almost crazy that Jesus would say, it's going to be better. 
when I go away. But he's saying, as close as we are now, right here, I mean, you're clutching to my feet right here, as close as this is, as great as this is, this isn't as great as it is until I pour my spirit out on the church and I spiritually dwell in you. My spirit is going to dwell inside of you. This was the hope of the apostles. Let me remind you what Peter says to a church that's just received the baptism or the pouring out or the breathing out of Jesus on the church, which he does later in this chapter, as we'll see next week. Jesus breathes out and pours the spirit out on the church. And this is what Peter says. God raised up Jesus and we're all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. In other words, having been ascended and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured this out that you're seeing and hearing. And then he quotes David from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. That's what the the apostles understood about the seated place of Jesus, the ascended state of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not walking around the earth today. Now, his spirit dwells in his people. But if we want to know where Jesus is, he is in his ascended place in heaven, seated on a glorious throne with myriads and thousands and thousands of angels and saints who have gone before him, worshiping around this throne. And he's leading the church by his spirit. Now, he is very transcendent and very distant from us. And yet he is very imminent and very close to us because of his Holy Spirit that he's poured out. It's a new power. This is what Paul said. This is an immeasurable greatness of power towards us who believe. And where does this power come from? It's because he's seated in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Every circumstance, every challenge, every king Every dark place of your heart, he is ascended and he's seated on a throne. And that's why he can come to your help. He can't come to our help if he's in the middle of our suffering, suffering alongside us in the same way. He's not. He's ascended and he has compassion and he has sympathy for us. But he's pouring out a whole new power on his people. He's giving his people a new authority. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle We take up arms against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are called to push back darkness because of this new power that the ascended Christ has poured out on the church. The weakest Christian, because of the gospel, can tear down and destroy strongholds because of the divine power of the Holy Spirit that the seated Christ pours out on the church. You say, well, I'm, I'm just a weak Christian. But it's true. It's true. That's actually a really good place to start. But that's not all that's true of you. You are, you are weak, and I am weak too. But we serve a seated Christ who's not weak, and he is unlimited in capacity, in power, in strength, in glory, and willingness to pour his power out on the church He's not only going to pour his power out now, he's not only giving us new power now. This seated Christ, when he returns, is going to totally transform our body in a moment, Scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye. You bat your eye, and that's how it's going to happen. It's not going to be this process. 
Is that going to take, you know, is that going to take 90 days to transform your body? Some fitness gurus say. That's, that's no excuse for not taking care of our bodies. Okay? But Jesus is going to do it in the twinkling of an eye. He's going to bat his eye at the last trumpet. The dead's going to be raised imperishable and our bodies are going to take on this spiritual body of Jesus. The very spiritual body. When he got up, when he got up out of the tomb, he reached for the face cloth and he pulled it off of his face. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down. I, I rise again. He pulled his face cloth up and he rolled it up and he sat it down and he's going to do that with all of us. The grave clothes are going to come off. The sin is going to be done away with. All the sin and struggle and junk that you and I deal with, it's going to, it's going to be gone. In the twinkling of an eye. And when he does that, after he does that, he's going to recreate a whole world. The whole world is groaning and groaning and groaning to be set free from its bondage of corruption. And they want, the world wants to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we are glorified, he's going to just rework the whole world. And we're going to join him in a place of authority, in a place of power, in a place of strength. With the new body. C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Resurrection promises that other world. And it gets better. Look at verse 18. This is how we're closing. Mary Magdalene had a mission with Jesus. And he sends her out again. He says, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Note that he came to Mary first. He didn't go to his disciples. He revealed his power and his glory to Mary and then he says, Mary, go and tell my disciples. Now, she risks face at this point. I mean, she was, to be a woman in this culture was to be marginalized and to be removed and to be, to be off center stage because the men had it all. The men were always in charge. The men did everything. But in, in, in the story of the Gospels, Jesus elevates the place of women. He, he loves this woman. And he says, you're going to be the one to go tell the men. All these men all hunkered back, scared. They don't know what to do, frightened. Here comes Mary. She's going to tell them. He's alive and he's ascended. He's ascending. He's going back to his father. and He's going to pour the spirit out on the church. He goes, she goes back with one testimony. I have seen the Lord. That's all she needs. That's all you need, you know. That's all you need. To see people's lives change in front of you. A simple testimony. I have seen the Lord. I have experienced Him. I know Him. I trust in Him. I have a relationship with Him. And then He says those, those things to her. This authority that Mary has and the disciples have, Jesus has given to us. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority. In my seated place has been given to me. Go. Go. 
If I haven't ascended, don't go. Don't take the risk. Stay back, Mary. It's not going to go well with you when you go back to the disciples and they mock you. They think you're crazy. They think you're insane. It's not going to go well for you at work this holiday season when you go to your your family members with hope, a living hope in Jesus Christ. It might not go well. But he's ascended and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you always, Jesus said. So do you know anybody today in your community group, in your neighborhood, in your family, at work right now that needs to be restored to God through Jesus Christ? Do you know anybody like that? Anybody? Resurrection is hope for them. Anybody in your life, are you personally struggling with assurance of total forgiveness? And you're looking for something and sadly, you've looked inside for some divine spark, some champion within, some, you've looked at faith, you're gazing at faith, and it's not there, it's outside of you, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anybody that right now is overcome by a, a, a sin pattern or, or some struggle that you just feel like, I can't get freed from. There is hope for you in the resurrection of Jesus. He is right now seated and wants to pour out mercy on you. Anybody want a physical healing or need physical healing? You're suffering and you're struggling and there's just there's something that you need healed in your body. Jesus loves to heal bodies. He loves to give people a foretaste of the resurrection of our of our bodies. To just give us faith and a new trust in him. If you want prayer for that, we're going to take we're going to take some time and I'm going to invite the community group leaders to come up here when we close. And we're going to take some time to pray for those, those kinds of things. Anybody lost sight of heaven? You know, you, you're, you're struggling in the quagmire of the present. And you just need your eyes lifted to a future hope, a future home, a future state of being that's not this world. We want to pray with you and for you. Jesus is alive and he's ascended. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.